Good evening, everybody. My name is Tyler LeClaire, and welcome back to episode two of this podcast, which still continues to be nameless. So today we're going to be diving into our first actual subject. Uh, So if you joined us for episode zero, it was just kind of the introductory episode that explained everything that's on my mind anyway, and uh, everything that I hope to talk about through this microphone and through this, I don't know, through this project that we have going on. So today we're going to be talking about probably one of the bigger contributing factors to men's behavior in our present day. There's a ton of things that we could talk about, but I think this is probably the most prevalent one. Um, And to be honest, this is going to be the second time I recorded this episode The first time I was in the middle of being pretty sick with a cold, it wasn't COVID, but uh, I had a head cold and just listening to it uh, over again has been kind of painful for me to listen to because I I just sound terrible and it's gross. And yeah, so I'm still getting over that head cold. So you might hear me sniffle every now and again. I'm going to try to edit out all that. So yeah, without further ado, let's dive right into this. So what we're going to be talking about today is the male identity and for us to talk about where we're at right now, I think it's important for us to look into yesterday and see what the expectation was of the male identity um, in recent history. So I think it's easy for us to kind of pick at the stereotypes of what the, the male identity used to be like or still kind of is like in a lot of situations so you know it's your typical macho emotionless or no weakness type of personality you know we like to think of like the stereotypical like high school jock you know the one that never loses and always gets what they want and is full of testosterone and always you know trying to be the toughest guy on the playground, so to speak. Um, you know, you might think of like the, you know, what, what does that person look like? And, you know, that could be like, I was just talking about like, uh, an athlete or maybe a different kind of like macho type of person. You could think of like a lumberjack. You guys know anyway, what the stereotypical man looks like and how they kind of act. And, now we're kind of in an age of transition where it's good that we're going in the direction that we are, but it kind of hurts us to be stuck in our current state because we have on one side of things, you know, the expectation for men to be manly, and I'm doing air quotes around manly, and then we have the progressing side of it's okay to show weakness because weakness is strength and so on and so on. So for us to be where we're at right now is really confusing for men. If you think about it, you know, uh, one of our friends or one of our parents might encourage us to open up and, you know, have that courage to talk about things that are hard for us to say and hard for us to hear. And then on the other side, as soon as we share those feelings, the other parent or the other friend tells us that we need to toughen up and get over it. And it's kind of that that duality is present in a lot of places in our society and it's present in places that you really think it shouldn't be and 
one someone that I'm close with shared with me recently that they were seeing their therapist or counselor and they were sharing some of the problems that they had relating to like anxiety and uh, just trying to overcome some of life's stressors and the counselor or therapist, I, I can't remember the, the professional title, but they told that person, their client, uh, the person I'm close with, they told them to man up essentially. And I, I think it was worded slightly different than that, but <clears throat> essentially they told them man up very plainly. And while that's in a way it, it can be helpful for some people to hear that, but that's a traditional sense and in a progressive sense, we need to be able to understand when something like that is okay. And it's certainly not something that you should be hearing from a therapist because you have taken the step to get help and you're kind of fighting some of the social norms as it is doing that. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. My uh, cat was causing a commotion anyway. So, you've already taken the step coming out of your comfort zone to seek help and talk with a professional and for them to kind of backhand you and say, man up, you know, what, who would, who does that? You know, for one, that client is paying you their money for professional help and you're going to give them some bullshit like that. Like, so that, that really frustrates me to hear. And I, I, this isn't the first time I've heard of stuff like that. So it's just frustrating for me to know that there are professionals in the field that lack that awareness. And, you know, sometimes just coming from someone who used to be a crisis counselor, sometimes we try to build a rapport with somebody by acting like them or talking like them or just trying to relate to them on a different level than what other people can. And while that can be an effective tool, being aware of when to draw that line is really important. And, you know, this person that was there getting supposed to be getting professional help was kind of taken back by that and pretty turned off from that counselor. And I'm fairly certain they're not seeing that person anymore. So if you're a professional in the field and you're listening to this, I highly recommend that you bring that sense of awareness to your practice. And it's in the end, as a professional, you're in like, I hate saying this, but you're kind of in a business. You need to be able to show to your client that you're someone that, that they can come back to you and feel comfortable coming back to you over and over again. So if you're looking to be a successful person in the field, you need to make sure that you're providing an environment for them where they're going to be comfortable and rewarded for coming to you in the first place. So with that said, rant over. <laughs> So, yeah, the male identity, it's got a really toxic side and it affects all of us. It starts when we're young and it lives with us as we grow. It's in our families and our friend groups and pop culture. You know, it's everywhere. So we can look at superhero movies, you know, the superhero, uh, whether it's let's take, I don't know, pick your favorite superhero. They sacrifice themselves for the greater good, which makes us believe that we have to, in order for us to be respected, we have to be able to put ourselves at risk or put ourselves 
on the line anyway and potentially give up our lives or put ourselves at risk of injury for the respect of others. And then the kind of creates the expectation of always having an answer during difficult times and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I could be overanalyzing things, but when it comes to the exposure and the amount of things that we're just the, the stimuli around us when we're younger, it's important for us to be aware of it anyway. And we all know the toxic personalities in our families, and it's important to also just be able to filter out those traditional senses of manliness that our families try to press upon us. And probably like one of one of the bigger ones that is apparent to me, uh, whether it's my life or things I've seen in my friends' lives, uh, is that our families expect us to, I don't know if they, it's so much an expectation or as a promotion of the idea of needing to be all figured out and settled down and have a girlfriend or a wife or whatever it might be at such a young age. And this is something that has really fought with me in a way. Uh, so when I, when I was in school, uh, late in college, I felt like I needed to have everything figured out. And as soon as I was going to graduate, I was going to get right in my career field and get a house and just have everything nailed down and figured out and, you know, secure as soon as possible. And while it's not bad to be driven, just being able to understand that it's okay to, uh, it's okay to fail. It's okay to not have everything in place and figured out. And one of the bigger pieces of this subject is having a partner. You know, I think a lot of a lot of us have the expectation of ourselves, which is promoted by our families, that if we don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, we are failing and we must not be good enough and we're we're gonna be single forever and blah 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 blah. So I think we could learn something from woman in the fact that there's been such a huge push in the past 10 years that women can be independent. They can do things without men. And, you know, we've seen in like STEM fields, like a greater push for women in STEM fields. There's programs like affirmative action to make sure that women have, they can plant their roots in these types of jobs. And I, I think it'd be really important for us as men to have that same experience for the caring professions, you know, whether it's nursing or um, elementary education, mental health, stuff like that. I, I think it would do our society a lot of good to have the same kind of emphasis as we did with getting women into STEM fields and even like military and law enforcement, which, by the way, women in law enforcement serve such an effective role that men oftentimes can't. So why can't we also see the plus side of encouraging men to enter the caring professions? And while we're on the subject, too, let's talk about, you know, why they might not end up in the caring professions. And I, I think it gets you can break it down to as little as we refer to every male nurse as a male nurse 
they're not just a nurse, they're a male nurse. And when you start at that microscopic level of detail, we're setting ourselves up to not even want to go into that kind of field. And then you go, let's say, let's take an elementary school. How many of those elementary teachers are men? It's it's very rare that you have a male teacher from grades pre-K and K all the way to even like sixth, seventh and eighth grade sometimes. I I don't think I had a male teacher other than like for phys ed. Uh, I don't think I had a male teacher until I was all in high school, actually. Um, so already at that age, we have a pandemic of a lack of male role models for our children. So having male role models, healthy male role models, I should add, in our elementary schools can have a wide range of effects. I mean, think about it. So you you can create a more relatable figure for those uh, younger children that might not have a father or have a unhealthy relationship with their father. You're giving them an opportunity anyway to see a healthy male at work and you're giving them the inspiration to explore different career fields or creating a new sense of empathy or seeing what effective communication looks like or seeing what it's like to be comfortable with feelings and you know how to communicate those things there's a lot of benefits that could come out of something like that so as good as we are for taking on the tough professions or STEM professions, it's important that we start exploring things that we aren't so comfortable with in a professional sense. And on top of that, too, so there's been a studied conflict between female teachers and their male students. So a female teacher is more likely to give a male student a higher grade without knowing their sex. If you give the uh, teacher a stack of tests and they don't have any sort of identifying information on that uh, paperwork, that (laughs) if you guys hear my cat running around in the back room, pardon me. Um, But yeah, so if you give them uh, a stack of paperwork with no identifying information and allow that teacher to go through and grade everything, those male students have been found to receive higher grades. And <laughs> coming from someone who studied criminology and sociology and psychology, criminal justice, think about labeling theory. And if you don't know what labeling theory is, uh, to sum it up, basically, if you are labeled as a bad person or I tell you you suck at something. Eventually, after hearing it enough or believing it enough, you kind of become that. So eventually, after hearing it enough or believing it enough, you kind of live up to that label. So if you keep getting poor grades or... If the teacher doesn't understand your behavior or is not relating to you emotionally, they might be creating, there's, I believe anyway, there would be a higher risk for a negative outcome as far as like a labeling theory type of deal. So if we're able to implement uh, a, a male teacher that might be able to relate to their male students more, 
and create an environment for them where they might be able to thrive in a more healthy sense. We might be able to prevent uh, an earlier age that student from engaging in behavior that would eventually lead them to either entering the criminal justice system or uh, creating negative relationships or engaging in substance use. You know, like I'm someone who's very analytical and thinks way beyond what most people would consider healthy. But, uh, you know, this is just the stuff that we really need to consider. The butterfly effect to me is a very real thing where one situation or event can seriously determine the outcome of the rest of somebody's life. So being able to take preventative measures when we can and while we know we can is super important. So with that said, I, I, I need to stick to my outline here. I don't think I've actually followed <laughs> two consecutive bullet points in a row here. I've been bouncing all over the place. So my bad. Anyway, if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, Tyler is all over the place, I am. I apologize. I'm going to try my best to keep us on track here now. So other things that might get in the way of us communicating when we need help or need to share something, there's a few things to look through. So you can look at things such as uh, wage gaps, you know, so men are privileged in the fact that we make more money for the same jobs uh, over women. And a lot of us might feel like for those privileges that were given, um, we don't deserve to go for help. And going back to labeling theory, when we are aware of our own privilege or labeled as privileged, it can be hard for us to feel like we deserve help or that it might create this illusion that we may not actually need help. Uh, additionally, men are so often subject to negative attention, which, you know, oftentimes rightfully so. Like when we look at our prison system, it's not hard for us to see that we are we are our own worst enemy due to the huge discrepancy between male and female populations in the correctional system. And because of this large discrepancy uh, and so many sources of information reporting basically the shittiness of men, I I feel like there may be like the secondary effect where men are socialized into the idea where they expect themselves to behave a certain way or that they may feel like there's only one uh, that like there's only negative outcomes for simply existing right off the bat. It's been shown that boys fall behind girls in every major academic category in every developed country. So simply put, what I'm trying to say is that we don't believe in ourselves to be capable of being good people and in response to that we are either falling into that idea or trying to rebel against it which also could often end in trouble and i know it's sat with me a few times just feeling like i'm being viewed as a negative person before people even really have the chance to know me. And it's hard to kind of break that mindset when those stories are so prevalent and common in our society. And it sucks. You know, it's really crappy that there's so much negativity and it just goes to show that men have a problem and we need to fix it. And we're fighting uphill already with that. And then 
if we receive that label or everyone kind of views us, even ourselves, if we view ourselves as a negative being, it's going to be really hard for us to reach out for help. So being able to overcome those labels is one of the first steps in us improving this situation. So what are the effects of us for not reaching out for help? I had watched a TED Talk, and if you know me, you know I love my TED Talks. I watched this one presented by Warren Farrell, and if you know Warren, you know that this dude is very intriguing to watch. So he was describing the male suicide rate compared to the female suicide rate, and it starts at a very young age. So in 2015, so this is uh, five-year-old data now, so uh, since then, uh, this has changed, and I'll explain a little bit. So in 2015, boys were twice as likely to commit suicide from ages 10 to 14, and then six times as likely to commit suicide from ages 20 to 24, and that's compared to females. Uh, so since 2015, that gap is closed a little bit, but it's not because boys are committing suicide less. Society has a lot of pressure on females as well for similar and also different reasons. And sadly, that's resulting in a huge mental health issue in our first world culture. So we can see from the statistics here, though, and you know, just knowing what we're exposed to and what we're taught from such a young age that we are not allowed to feel negative emotions. A lot of times we're not even allowed to share positive emotions. You know, I, I can think of quite a few times where I felt like I had to be tough and kind of almost like pissed off over being happy or thankful or showing gratitude. It's it's kind of like damned if you are, damned if you don't at some points as uh, a boy growing up and anyway so yeah we can see starting from a very young age that that expectation takes a really serious toll on us and I think as a guy and I, I can imagine as the guys who are listening in they might be able to relate to this there was always that one freaking kid whether it was a bully or just a kid on the playground that made us feel like our emotions didn't matter or our viewpoints were worthless. You know, that's a thing that we just have to deal with as a society. You know, it's something that as we grow older, we get exposed to more and we grow thicker skin and we know how to kind of shut those people out of our lives. But when we're younger, it's not something we're used to yet. And it has a bigger impact on us. So, we have a really hard time talking about our emotions. And part of that, I think it kind of relates to like the whole teacher thing I talked about, you know, having that positive role model that shows us how to talk and how to communicate what we're feeling. Um, that just lacking that at a young age, we grow up into these men that just don't know how to communicate. And I think if you are listening as a significant other, you might have a situation, whether it's a current or past relationship with a guy where that when they got pissed or sad, they either went quiet or they their defense mechanisms kicked in and maybe they became angry 
or they became depressed or whatever it might be. You know, it, myself as an example, I tend to bottle things up a lot because I feel like I I feel like I'm burdening other people when I share my emotions and I think a lot of other people feel that no matter who they are. Just having that sense of awareness when someone chooses you to share their emotions with, you need to really appreciate the fact that they think you're a trustworthy enough person that they're going to open up to you and let themselves be vulnerable. So just make sure that you have that sense of awareness and you appreciate that person when they do that with you. Uh, back when I was an RA in college, we had a, a staff meeting uh, where our boss at the time had asked us to participate in this exercise where there was a length of tape put on the ground in this classroom and the boss asked us to step to one side and uh, I, uh, I hate calling her a boss. I, I think a boss is a much, it carries a more negative connotation than um, what she actually was. Um, just when I say area coordinator, I don't think a lot of some of you guys might not know what I mean. But anyway, so my uh, boss asked us to stand to us, all 20 something of us to stand on one side of that tape. And they would read off a situation or a noun or a characteristic that described us or something that we related to. And if it was something that we identified with or related to, we were to cross over that tape, turn around and view our uh view our counterparts so we started off with kind of lighter subject stuff you know step across the line if you think you're a tryhard or or if you think you're not good at math you know just you know very simple stuff and eventually it worked its way up into really heavy subjects and um, it got pretty emotional for all of us involved and one of the final things that was asked of us was to step across the line if we've ever felt suicidal before, if we've ever considered uh, ending our own life. And everything in my body wanted to step across that line. And I felt like my body, the upper half of my body, like lean forward and like my legs like loosened up for that brief moment to take that first step. And then my ego kicked in and locked my legs right up and I stood still. I think a lot of that was because at the time I was a senior RA. I was often used in like a role model sense. I was viewed as the guy who tackled all the tough situations and everybody went to for help. I just felt like I couldn't show that. I felt like it was weakness for me to go across the line, even though just months prior to that, I had probably one of the most intense feelings of suicide, suicidal thoughts. And I had been suffering with depression for a long time and I had every right to go across that line. And, uh, I think one, maybe two people did. I had only now do I see, and even right at that moment, I could see that it, there is strength and weakness. And those people that cross that line, I really admire them for having the ability, the strength and the comfort with themselves to step across that line and look at us because that is not easy. And I know for sure that one of that one person that I definitely know did was a male. And that I just really admire that 
ability of them to do that. So if you're listening and you know who you are, just know that that moment was a really big game changer for me. And it's helped me kind of get to who I am today with being comfortable with my own thoughts and my own mental health. So yeah, we face a lot of issues anyway. And, you know, remaining blind to the reality of these situations kind of makes it harder for us to properly handle them. And, you know, if we keep just kind of bottling things in and stuffing it down like I'm so good at doing and we don't get accustomed to talking or uh, to somebody or talking ourselves through it and just being comfortable with these different emotions we won't know how to dig ourselves out when crisis happens I think that's why we can see such a difference in diagnoses in women's mental health versus men's mental health so there are far more diagnoses in women than there are men, and yet men are committing suicide more than women. And it comes right down to that. You know, we bottle things down and we just hold it all in until it all comes out and we either take it out on ourselves or other people. It's unhealthy either way. And it all starts on what we're encouraging men to do. Whereas women, it's more socially acceptable for them to show emotion and to seek help. And the person who is considered the help is more receptive more often to the female than they are the male. So there's a lot of things to untangle. You know, there's a lot of big issues to tackle, but it all contributes to the male identity in today's world. So how do we move forward from here? Uh, How do we begin to tackle some of these issues? So that's what this project is for. So we're going to take this piece by piece, topic by topic, break it all down, and just start kind of rewriting who we are, what the expectation is, and just trying to make a difference and change the course of our current society with that i I have a few things for in in closing and so let's start with this metaphor presented by gareth griffith in his ted talk so i mentioned how we can't remain blind to our big problem anymore so his metaphor uh starts with everybody being blindfolded and then flown to an unknown location Everybody is lined up shoulder to shoulder once they get off the plane or helicopter, whatever it might be. In front of them is a cliff that is exactly nine meters away. So each person is given a number from one to ten. And those numbers represent the amount of meters that they are going to walk while blindfolded. And they're going to walk forward towards the cliff. Sadly, as you might be able to tell, some of these people will fall off the cliff. Some of them won't even come close. Some will be right on the edge. Some will be somewhere in between. The blindfold begins to be marketed as a great thing to have because it's easier than knowing what's ahead and it keeps you calm anyway. You're you're unaware of the potential situation in front of you. So if we took the time to remove the blindfold, we could see what other people, where they're at, or how close you are to the edge. 
You know, you could be one step away. Your friend could be one step away. You could be way behind everyone else, but you can see that your brother or best friend are one step away from going off the edge. So if you haven't put it together yet, this metaphor is talking about being able to see where you are and where other people are and being able to either warn them or guide them back away from the cliff in order to ensure their safety. Backing away from the metaphor, it's all about getting comfortable with talking to each other when you're feeling it. You know, if if some, like I said before, if someone chooses to open up to you with a really troubling event that they experienced or some challenging emotions that they're dealing with, make sure to you know, shut off any form of judgment. And if you're that person trying to share that information with somebody and you have someone that's being judgmental with you or shutting you down, freaking get rid of them. They're, that's just an unhealthy person to have in your life, no matter who you are. If they are someone that truly cares about you, they're not going to judge you for making yourself vulnerable. It takes true strength to do that. So... The more comfortable we feel with ourselves, the more likely other people will too. So that's kind of, you know, why I I also feel like I need to be here. I need to share with you guys how I've become more comfortable with myself and sharing my thoughts and experiences. And so maybe someone else might be able to recognize that they can do the same. So... Yeah, uh, that's really it. I know there. I I shot out so much information to you guys on this one, and it was kind of a tangled mess. But I can certainly say I'm much more happy with how this recording turned out as opposed to my last one, uh, because I don't sound nearly as sickly <laughs> to begin with. But yeah, so with that, I'm going to leave you guys with a quote, probably one of my favorite quotes, and it's actually from Optimus Prime, uh, you know, the, the head transformer robot dude. So his quote is, the greatest weakness of most humans is their hesitation to tell others how they love them while they're still alive. So with that quote in mind, I hope you guys take a moment out of your day or night to show the people in your life the appreciation that you have for them just because you really don't know what's around the corner so much can change so fast and i i know that it's a quote from optimus prime which seems kind of weird in its own way but regardless i i think that the meaning holds true so yeah it's kind of weird to leave off here with a quote from the leader of an alien robot army but I still think that the quote holds a lot of value in that we should take a moment to appreciate the amazing people that we have in our lives just because we we really don't know what's around the corner. So with that, I'm going to leave you guys and I would like to really say thank you again for joining me this evening and it's been great talking and I really look forward to making the next episode and the episode after that, hopefully. So... With that, have a fantastic evening, and we will see you next time.